0: There you go. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, the title of, is How to Pray the Liturgy. And I think this is really important. And I've kind of listed up there the sequence of things I want to talk about. To begin with, um, I think it's a very serious topic because the Lord has warnings in the Gospels about praying in a meaningless way. Mm-hmm. Right? He says, that don't be like the pagans who heap up vain repetitions thinking they'll be heard. And now this is a verse that Baptists... Uh, use against us Anglicans for using liturgy at all, right? They're like, oh, don't heap up vain repetitions. But the trouble isn't that it's repetitions, it's that it's vain repetitions, or heaping up kind of endless phrases thinking that by quantity of repetition, that then, then God will hear me as if he's not a personal God that we're interacting with. So, um, so I think because of that warning, it's in uh, Matthew chapter 6, we need to be careful not to pray the liturgy in an empty way, That to just come to the um, To the service and like coast through would be actually not it would be worse than neutral it would be actually like really damaging welcome welcome we just started um welcome so I was just saying that um the sort of seriousness of the topic today is prompted by Jesus's warnings in the Gospels to not heap up empty phrases in prayer um, and that the liturgy, if not invested with with one's own heart, could become empty phrases and and therefore actually be like the pagans. And Jesus condemns it. He doesn't welcome it. So anyway, so that's kind of the warning, which I think prompts really thinking like, well, how do we pray the liturgy meaningfully uh, and from our own hearts? How do we really connect with it? So I want to kind of give seven pointers um, for ways we can dig, sort of really put our own, like, our own hearts and our own hands into the work of the liturgy Uh, both to make it meaningful and to use it as it's supposed to be used, Uh, and then thereby connect with God and have it also be then transformative for us. Um, Okay, so the first thing I want to say is actually one of the bigger pieces of praying the liturgy meaningfully is our preparation beforehand, uh, before the liturgy even begins. And there's actually two pieces to that. One of the great masters of the spiritual life says that we will only be as focused in prayer as we are focused on God in, any th- in the rest of our lives. That if we go about our week just thing to thing to thing, frantic, 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 we're not gonna then sit down and be like, now I am focused in prayer, <laughs> right? Um, the frantic nature will, will bleed into prayer and that actually prayer and our, reg- and our and the sort of tasks of the day, the chores and the jobs we work and the things we have to do, they're actually related, that the more we do the one for the glory of God and the, with focus to, to, to do so, the more we'll be able to pray when it comes time to pray. And one of the, it's actually a litmus test for me at the end of the day when it comes time for evening prayer. I sit down in the chair to pray, and some days it's like my brain is just all over the map, and it, uh, it's, it feels almost impossible trying to pray evening prayer. And that's a sign to me that I've not used my day well. I've just hurried through without pausing and sort of remembering God's presence and offering things to the Lord. Um, whereas if I, God's helped me do that in the day, I sit down to pray and it's like, ah. Oh, I'm so excited to be praying. Like, there's a difference there based on how you do the day. So, so that's the bigger part of it, sort of just our lives, affect our prayer lives. And we should actually expect that it will take a long time to become really focused in prayer. That this is a practice. I sort of, for a while, was disappointed in myself. Like, why when I sit down to pray? Is it not this sort of focused, ecstatic, joyful experience? Why is my brain all over the map? It's like, well, because we're distracted all over the map people. And with God's grace and time, We'll get better at it and that hopefully in 20 years time when i pray i'll be able to sustain attention for more than 10 seconds at a time you know maybe an hour at a time or something um, but to not be discouraged along the way because of that fact um, when it comes to sunday friend of sunday liturgy together um, I, I begin thinking about communion on saturday night and i hope you do too that to, you know to recognize that when it's saturday night tomorrow morning i am going to get to hear god's word and receive the sacrament. Like, both of which are conduits of encountering God himself. And that like, I think it's so common for Christians we can almost take it for granted, but if someone, I read heard someone once that said, if someone said to you, you know, in 15 years time, somewhere in Arkansas, God is gonna show up and you can meet him, we would all like, clear our schedules, build highways into Arkansas, you know what I mean? Like, we would be there. And yet that's every Sunday for us. And so we just take it for granted because of its frequency. Um, but like this is a chance to meet God. So on Saturday night to be thinking like, hey, okay, tomorrow I'm going to meet God in word and sacrament. Um,
1: don't,
2: don't you also need to say so I understand it and, and it goes into me and I can keep it. The words there and really understand what God is said and saying.
0: Yeah, yeah. so God is, I think, interested in meeting us through, like, on at every level of ourselves. So yeah. he wants to to transform our understanding, yeah. so we get understanding. And that's why sermons are there to help explain the, the scriptures. Um, but then he also meets us even in, sort of in our invisible soul, the parts of us we don't know all how it works. He's feeding us, with the, as we pray in the post-communion prayer, with the spiritual food of communion even in our unconscious yeah. sort of, the, the hidden recesses yeah. of our souls as well. So it's, it's our understanding and the part of us that's yeah. even deeper than our understanding. And like, yeah. to
2: me, I have to thank him for letting me come. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yeah. Responding with grace is a great, it's a, such a beautiful mark of the Christian life, like the, yeah. like the leper who gets healed and comes yeah. back and thanks uh-huh. Jesus, right, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that would be on the other side, not before the liturgy, but after, thanking God especially yes. too, you know. Um, so, yeah, and then um, I think preparing ourselves a little bit early to church. I mean, you guys who come to Sunday school to then after Sunday school, maybe try and get down there to the sanctuary to have a couple minutes advance. And then if you don't come to Sunday school, you know, to just be here a couple minutes early, just to even, even just three or four minutes to sit quietly, just sort of like let the sort of busyness of the morning quiet down a little bit. The more sort of gent- quietness we can bring. There's that psalmist that says, you know, I've, I've stilled my heart. Um, to to do that is a sort of preparatory work to then being able to pray um, to pray the liturgy meaningfully, and a part of that too is I will sometimes make an an what's called an act of God's presence, like a prayer act, to sort of pray, Lord, kind of confessing like a creed, almost what we know to be true, like God, I don't feel you, I'm not, a, I have no sensory awareness that you're here, but I know that you are here because you're everywhere. And I know especially here because I'm gathered with other Christians and you've promised to be where two or three are gathered in your name. Mm-hmm. So Lord, I, I, I believe that you are here. And I'm. And sometimes I'll pray the prayer of Samuel, speak Lord, your servant is listening. Right? That's what Samuel says, speak Lord, your servant is listening. And sometimes the Lord may speak and sometimes he may not, but to pray that ahead of time. And then I also ask for prayer for help. You've probably seen at the beginning of the liturgy bulletins, there's those little prayers. Those are prayers to say... God, I need even your help to talk to you. Which is funny, because we don't do that with a human. We? Um, but because we're in talking to God, we're, we're pointing to such a higher level beyond our own existence. We actually need that sort of supernatural help to raise our minds and hearts to that level and, and, and to pray. So I'll also pray, God, help me to pray. Just simply, like I'll, I'll pray those things in the front of the bulletin, and then I'll pray. And I, sometimes throughout the service, you know, I'll be... Um, hearing the scriptures and all of a sudden my mind's like, oh, what about that thing I was going to do this afternoon? And then I go, like, Lord, help me to pray. Back into listening. you know, Or like I'll be praying a collect, and I'm meaning the words, and all of a sudden my brain starts parting from the words and I start thinking about something else. It's like, no, Lord, help me to pray. You know, that's something. I probably pray it ten times in the midst of a Sunday morning. Um, so yeah, so those are things to, that we can kind of beforehand to help set us up to, to pray the liturgy meaningfully. Any questions or thoughts about, about that? Very glad for
2: that little, yeah, little prayer in the beginning. Oh, good. Yeah. That's where
0: I start. Yeah. Calm down there. Good. Yeah, it's a great place to start. I'm glad that it's been a service. Um, yeah. So then, um, there's really one big idea that makes the liturgy come alive, and it's that no matter whose lips are moving, we are all praying the whole thing. That it's one big prayer from beginning to end. Um, So that's the piece that really makes it make sense. Otherwise, it would seem like, well, the priest is praying a bunch, and what's everybody else doing? <laughs> like during some of the communion or something like that. But the idea is that no, I am just speaking the words of our prayers. That's the idea of a priest. As it actually, it says in, in the Old Testament the covenant, we see the priest takes the prayers of the people and presents them to God. So I'm sort of, I am just your mouthpiece when I'm at the communion. And then there's, of course, all the parts we all, all of our lips move and we all say together, like the confession um, and the creed and the stuff that we all say together. But, um, and there's a couple ways to sort of bring that truth alive that it's all of our words. Um, And I will sort of use all three of these sort of Sunday to Sunday or even like you know, 10 minute chunk to 10 minute chunk, just to try and stay connected. The first is called subvocalization, which is where in your mind you say the same words with your own voice. So we do this often when we read, right, when we read. In my head I'm hearing, practical health, often asking, you know, you kind of read the, so at, at the, te- the, te- the text is there in the bulletin, or, or being heard, to pray it in your own heart, sort of in the, the voice of your own voice in your head. Um, that can help. The other thing can be just following along the words in the bulletin. Sometimes, especially when I'm sleepy, I actually need text to keep me focused because otherwise I'm just kind of... And then to sort of have text, it's like, okay, um, we do not presume to come to this, your table, trusting in our own righteousness. You know, like and just seeing the words and keeping your eyes on the page can actually help. But then other times the opposite is the case. I'm looking at the words and I'm not even thinking about God. I'm just looking at words. Sometimes, I, I, especially when I'm a worshipper and not leading a service, I'll just put the bulletin on the chair and just try and be present to what's happening and just sort of paying attention viscerally and letting the words be oral instead of just instead of read. And you can you know mix these things up according to your personality type, according to how you're feeling that Sunday, but you know trying different things to try and connect. The moment you find yourself disconnected, try something else. Often for me it's honing back into the bulletin, but sometimes it's it's just Oh, too much clutter. I just need to look and listen. <laughs> um, so you can kind of try those. Different. Have you? Do you do some of those things already? Is that some? Have you kind of tried some of those different strategies? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I usually just read.
0: Mm. read uh, along.
1: Mm-hmm. I think you know,
0: it's up here too. But
2: right. You're saying the words, but I'm reading what you're saying. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I think for me, mostly following along in the bulletin, even the parts that aren't um, corporate mm. um, helps a lot because mm. it's, it's it, it helps to know what's, what the, the officiant's praying, what the priest is praying. Right. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. I really like the moments of silence mm. because if you're not careful, you're taking all these bites and you don't have time to digest them.
0: Well, that's a good picture. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And when you give us that time, because your heart can be heavy some days and your heart the Lord can be speaking to you, there's so many things going or you can just be enjoying his goodness and his faithfulness in, in the words. And so when you give us time to actually compartment or pack it together, we can take that home. Yeah,
0: I like that image of chewing and swallowing. Yeah. And that's I mean the silences weren't my idea. They're in the literature Like they're written as rubrics, like take a moment of silence. Um so a lot of them are, are built in to the very core of the service. Um, yeah. The um another thing that I think can really help us help too is um I was taught as a kid when you pray, you put your hands like this and you close your eyes, and then somewhere in my early twenties I was like, Well that's not very cool. Mm-hmm. So I, like so like putting my hands on my side, or like, I don't know, just opening my eyes. I don't know, like, I sort of, I thought this was sort of like, seemed overly pious or something, like, here I am at prayer. Um, but I've actually come back around fully to not, have, not having to think about what your body looks like, and actually using a sort of disciplined posture of prayer is super helpful. So now when I pray, I often will actually put my hands together like this and close my eyes, because it's like, no, I, in the same way we uh, so many activities when we connect a bodily gesture with it we kind of lock it in a bit more um, I think there's something great about having something to do with your hands and your hands are pointed to heaven you know I mean there's something focused about it you see I've found almost the as some, a, a, a physical posture yeah. but instead of with hands together I do hands apart almost like I'm waiting almost like I'm waiting to receive something yes. yeah so I'm glad you said that because I actually read that out there during, that, during that too. there's like two or three sort of traditionalized postures of prayer and that is actually the most traditional, is what you just saw. It's okay. <laughs> is, is, is called, the Latin word is orans, which means prayer. <laughs> um, but the traditional posture for prayer is hands like this. Just you know, um, and it, Because it's a way of sort of, yeah, it's both, uh, it symbolizes both offering our communication to God, right? And also hands that could receive a gift. And that, that, that hand posture alone. So, and so, you know, when you look in any of the old pictures of the church of the past, All the people are standing. So now you notice that I stand like that at the altar sometimes, right? That's just continued from what has been a long time Christian, actually Jewish practice. It says in the Old Testament, right? I lift my hands to heaven, right? And we sort of get even in in sort of Jewish writings, the sort of picture of praying like this. Um, So yeah, this or this, I have some bodily gesture. Again, just one more tool to help focus uh, our prayer time. So yeah, I, I alternate between those two.
2: You know the English of lazy.
1: (laughs) yes (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> classic <laughs> British pragmatism yes um,
1: you know uh, have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you feel the Lord calling you to pray mm. if you're not careful you can sit in a chair and fall asleep yeah but sometimes I found it uh, humbling to kneel yeah to just say and then not worry who's going to catch you or see you or, right. or really say okay Lord you know that right I'm really coming to you yes yeah
0: which is why we have so much kneeling in the liturgy, too. Same reason, right? Yeah. Um, yeah
1: I'll
2: be glad when I can kneel again. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I'm going to sit and I, I can't do it without holding on to get up.
1: Yeah.
2: And those chairs don't let you get up. I know. It'll be much easier when yes. we have pews Pears, and kneelers. Yeah, 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 right.
0: Yeah. Um, the. Um, uh, the other thing I think sometimes you know for a lot of prayer sometimes if there's like a action happening I'll have my eyes open like if I'm worshiping and there's a priest celebrating and, you know He's holding the chalice. I'm watching it But a lot of times I'll like when I go to other churches on vacation like, I keep my eyes closed three-quarters of the service. I'm like I know what's happening up front I'm trying to focus on God Yeah, <laughs> um, but then if if I'm daydreaming then I'll keep my eyes open because I'm you know, to stop my brain from daydreaming so Again, just you, you know—varying these things to try and to try and stay focused. Um, I
2: find the cross at the top.
0: Yeah, I look at that. Yeah, mm. yeah—a visual yeah. focal point. That's, thats actually one of the reasons I put it there was yeah. so that we have that, that focal point. Um, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I also, just to mention that one of the thoughts to banish um, is the idea of like other people watching or doing it right. Like at every level, first of all, there's no objective right. <laughs> Um, second of all, it's kind of vain to th- to worry about how people think you're praying. Like that's what the mm-hmm. Pharisees do, right? Like they love to be seen at prayer. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Like you're coming before Almighty God. So when thought, but thoughts will come. We're human, right? Like, what do those people think? Just say, just go like this to their thought. Mm-hmm. Just get out of here. <laughs> you know, clear that. Just brush that one away, um, and keep brushing it away until it leaves forever. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, focusing on, on, on objects is really good uh, to do as well for focus. Another thing I think, and this is to isolate the verbs, is I remember when I was getting married, I was like, well, what are we doing in this marriage service? And it occurred to me that, well, what do we learn in English class in elementary school about? You know, verbs are doing words. They're what you do. But when you say, like, um, I, uh, I honor, you're actually, like, Giving honor by saying that word, like the verb actually performs the action itself, right? Like when you say, like, if I were to say, "I honor you," that that's like an oxymoron. You're not. You're clearly not. If you say it like that, you know, it's "I honor you." Um, and so that the verbs of the liturgy can help us sort of tell our hearts what we're doing. And so think about the verbs. We confess, right? We praise. We glorify. We come. We offer. Like, look at the different verbs, and then as you're saying those things, do those things in your heart. Um, It's sort of this, and it's sort of this, it takes a while to kind of acquire a sense for this. But there's one thing to say, like, glory to God, and another thing to say it where with your heart, you're like the angel sort of shining this light back to God, like to say, glorify God, glorify God, like glory to God, like my heart gives glory to God. And that there's a way in which we can do that in our inward, in our inner man, in our inner person, to, um, to not just say the words, but to do the things those words do. You know, when it's confess sins, it's not I confess my sins. It's well, I, I confess my sins. Um, and to do that thing. Um, so, yeah, so So notice maybe in the upcoming Sundays, look at the verbs of the liturgy as we pray them. And that's, that's a thing to do, an action to get engaged with. And I heard a tip from an old church father too of um, uh, when you're praying a liturgy, one thing to, remind, to think about is to pray as if it's the last time you'll ever pray. Like what if the Lord returns for the second time to bring history to an end right at the end of the service and it's the last time. And uh, you know most of the church fathers think that probably the Lord will come back on a Sunday. And we don't know because the Lord says no one knows the day or the hour. But a lot of them, when they speculated, they said, it'll probably be a Sunday. <laughs> um, so um, this idea of like, this, and you know, we don't know when we'll die. Like, this actually could be the last time. And I, I, it, sh- it sharpens the thought, like, the idea of coming into heaven, dragging my feet from a slovenly liturgy, you know, versus like coming into heaven, like, to imagine, imagining that dying would just be a tick different than what we're doing in, the, in life. Like, here I am, standing before God, worshiping Him. Oh, I died. I'm doing the same thing. Right, like that would be great to like have the transition be almost insignificant, um, and to think about you know the Lord coming back like this is the last time like um, we don't know. Sometimes the liturgy sounds like I think one of the ways boredom sets in is when we think, oh, am I going to be doing this every Sunday for the next fifty years? And it's like you don't know that. Maybe this is the last one. Um, so that's something I think about too. Good morning, dear Sandra. um you yeah
2: know, you need some help to come along Ma'am. you need some
0: help to walk along <laughs> Yeah, like I do. And, and Sandra, we can we'll move this class starting next week we'll move it downstairs mm-hmm. you don't have no 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 it's a piece of cake because you you're such a faithful comer i hate you know so um it's it's very easy for us to move downstairs so downstairs yeah, next week all down right okay. um so um, yeah, so, then, so that's of so remembering that the Lord is coming quick enough for us. Um, the, uh, the festooning, this is a word I got from, um, have you ever read the book Letters to Malcolm by C.S. Lewis? It is an excellent book, you can get it on Amazon for like five bucks. It's called Letters to Malcolm and it's a collection of like 12 or so letters he wrote to his buddy Malcolm uh, and they were talking about the topic of prayer. So it's C.S. Lewis's ideas about prayer. And they're really good, because he's a great thinker and a great writer. Um, and so I I'll highly recommend that book to you. Um, and one of the things he mentions in the letter is this idea of um, festooning, and he means they sort of the way you put like a wreath on a door, like, kind of festu- like a sort of auxiliary decoration, that we do that with our prayers, that when we pray words, we can sort of add on sort of particular pieces in the midst of it. So. The most clear example would be when we say the confession for sins, you know, um, I confess that I've... Uh, I, actually, I always get confused which confession we say in the Sunday, how does it begin? Um, we confess that we have sinned against you. So not to not just say that in some general terms, but to say, oh no, these particular sins are on my conscience. For whatever reason they've come to mind, either I did them this week or they're from the long past and the Holy Spirit's brought them to mind. We confess them to you. So we confess. We, you know, um, the, we, have, we say we have sinned against you, not in the abstract, very concretely. Right. The more we can make sort of put in our in our minds connect our, our concrete meaning to the words we're saying, the the more meaningful it becomes. Same thing with in intercessions. When we pray for those who are sick. We have a list of people who we're kind of praying for as a congregation. But you might have just found out about someone sick on your way to church well, pray for that person at the same time. I and mean, you're out loud even if you want at that point. Um, but at every point, um, when we thank God for things, like if you saw his kindness or provision this week, well, thank you for that. You know, And, and kind of connecting, putting your own personal, and then it's fun to think of us, each of us in the church building, we are praying the same words, but we're each attaching our particular layer to that. And that's like this big tapestry of prayer ascending to heaven together. Um, so that's Uh, the idea of festooning, kind of filling in the gaps, as it were.
2: Well, I feel I did that on Thursday. Mm. I went to see my renal doctor. He's an Indian, but he grew up Christian because he likes Christian food. (laughs) 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 But we got Uh. into Lent. Mm. And I said, until I come to the States, I've never heard that you, you're not in Lent on a Sunday. it's mm. not in India either, is it? Once you start Lent, even though it's more than 40 days, it's still Lent. Right. And you don't break whatever you've given up and do it on a Sunday.
0: Right. Yeah. That's certainly the more traditional way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> what, we, what we see in the history of the fast of the church is they're always being adapted for sort of the felt weakness of the people. Yeah. So as people get softer and softer as a culture, the Lent fast gets easier and yeah. easier because it needs to be doable. And so that's kind of what's happening. So it used to be 40 days of no food, no food during daytime.
2: That's right, yeah. And,
0: but who could handle I mean, like, it was, it was like too hard to handle. So people just gave up out of discouragement. So the church is always adapting the disciplines of the church to be on that fine line between challenging but not discouraging. And so that's kind of where that, yeah. that comes
2: and from. It, and on good Friday, we always, ha- always had fish. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Just
2: right. That's how you were brought up, I mean. To
0: right, yeah, English culture and, and, and sort of traditional Christian culture are, are d- very deeply intertwined, yes. yeah.
2: But it was, it kind of made me think when he's Indian, I mean, he yeah. was brought up in India.
1: Right. He said Christmas morning, we always used to go to Christian
0: houses. <laughs> <laughs> because i like Christmas cake, yeah. <laughs> you know. And it, well, that's kind of a cool story that actually the way Christians feast could be yeah. part of a witness to sort of the joy of a Christian. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I think there's something yeah. to that. Like, he makes a
2: Christmas cake and Christmas
0: pudding every Christmas. Huh. Nice. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, the world would have good reason to be baffled by the fact that we do both, yeah. right? Because there are pagans who just feast all year, all year round, no problem. And they're also pagans who are like crazy diet nuts and they take uh, you know they're self-discipline yeah, around and then there's other cults who sort of you know pr- prohibit certain foods 100 yes. percent of the time but then as christians we're like taking on fasting and then sometimes we feast and we're, you know and it's like this yeah um what, the the fact we do both points to something kind of wonderful and mysterious about our religion i think yeah, yeah. so um yeah so um and then um the seventh one I have is um, the idea of picturing the message. And this is just an invitation to use your imagination during the service. I think we wrongly think of the imagination as just some sort of fanciful inner thing, but it's actually a faculty, like a, a skill that God gave us with the intended purpose that we would be able to conceptualize invisible things better. right? Like We're not pure intellect. We're not angels. We have imaginations. And again, they are from God. Um, and so... Um, chiefly, this is this is going to be really well done. This is remember that meditation class we we did, um, meditating on the scriptures. Similarly, when we're hearing the um, the scriptures, especially the gospel read, to try in your mind to, look, to picture it as you're hearing it, right? Is and, G, and a crowd came before Jesus, and Jesus got in a boat and he went out and he started teaching from the boat, and then he sat down, and then he said, to, you know, and you can. The more you engage, that's why I, I will always close my eyes for a gospel reading because I want I want to picture it. Um, and uh, it just enables us to sort of allow the word to resonate in us more, more richly. Um, but then, not just the Gospels, but even I think the Eucharistic prayer is really a powerful one to picture out too, because we're we're rehearsing in prayer before God some of the, the sort of the the moment in which the Lord brought about our salvation, right? And on the night in which He was betrayed, there's all these sort of historical things that we present to our mind on the night He was betrayed, right? There he was in the upper room, and he said this, I was... And then when he, um, his passion, right? And to think of, like, that word means he was actually beaten with rods and spit on, and then whipped with whips and made bloody. I mean, like, that's what we mean by the word passion. And if we say that word without meaning what we're saying, we're just like, oh, passion. It's like, no, no, his passion. That's a word worth pausing over in the mind, you know? His death. And to think about the Good Friday readings as we hear them, you know, like... His, pain, his agonizing death on a cross. Like, and to, to use your imagination, um, God gave us that, that we would be able to more fully connect with something that our eyes weren't there to see, um, that, but we would be able to see it with our mind's eye. Um, so feel free to use your imagination in the liturgy, uh, to, to see with your mind the words that are being said. Um, yeah, and then um, the last one I want to talk about that was, um, was already been touched on is the idea of using the silences of the liturgy. Um, I love Roger's word. that he um, Roger said that silence is sort of like when we're participating in the liturgy, it's like we're chewing on the scriptures and the prayers. Silence is a chance to swallow, to digest. Um, and I think that's really right. Um, and to be, uh, I think it's in the silences is where sort of the deep places of the christian life get to really grow and i admit that i'm still on like the beginning years of this i mean comparatively by years i'm still like a really young christian right um but but i know that from the testimony of others and from what little experiences i've had that silence is where you get to like take what's been prayed in the liturgy or and then get let it sink into the very depths of your soul and then actually that's the place where God, the Holy Spirit, will sometimes speak directly, right? And, and you actually know in your heart a word of encouragement or conviction or something to pray for. Like, the, it's a, the, 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 you only hear that voice in silence. It's never when there's other stuff, or very rarely when there's other stuff um, happening. Um, so, and then one of the things I've learned about prayer, again, sort of seeing this, like, road map and then seeing myself, like, here on it, and like still a place to go. But what people talk about that's on that, the far end of the road they call contemplation, in Latin, contemplatio. Um, same, same word, I guess. But, but um, this idea that actually just basking in a spiritually-sensed presence of God, which is very mystical and sounds amazing. <laughs> but like that's not the beginning of the Christian life. That's the end. That's where we get with our prayers. But that, that happens in the silence, and um, specifically also the silence after communion. here here it is you've confessed your sins you've heard the word you've received the sacramental body and blood of the lord jesus you have been you made united with him you're closer to god in that moment than we will be until eternity that's a moment to enjoy and and enjoy god right to be like this is this is actually the sense the presence of god and to sort of claim it in faith before it's sensed to say lord i know this is true i feel nothing oftentimes i feel nothing But my feelings don't tell me the truth. Faith tells me the truth. And you have said, this is your body. And that when you said through your servant Paul, when we partake of the bread, we are participating in the body of Christ. I mean like joining, making communion with the body of Christ. So the more we sort of lean into that faith, the more then actually sort of spiritual experience will sort of come to follow. And I think hopefully, that it wouldn't be too many years of worshiping in the liturgy before you'd actually have some sense of, wow, that 10 minutes after communion, that is a pretty special moment. Like this, there's, there's, I don't know how to describe it because it's in this unseen, impossible to describe place of the soul, but there's something pretty powerful happening. It's quiet. It's not loud powerful, but there's something powerful happening. And, um, the joy in that gets, I think, deeper and deeper with every, passing you know, liturgy and year as a Christian. So, so that's sort of the end I think of is using that silence for contemplation like some of the great saints of the church who loved God with all their heart um, communion for them would become this three hour thing where they would sit for an hour before communion just sort of like bringing their heart to the Lord and really wanting to sort of like focusing their mind and their, their prayers and, and then praying communion and then after communion just basking for an hour in that joy of like wow like God you've spoken to me you fed me, you love me, you are my Heavenly Father. And, and there would often be like tears of joy like in the midst of that. Like, that's what the great saints testified, like what communion can be. Um, and uh, that, I think that's the road that God willing we're on, that together we'll sort of get more and more and more out of the liturgy. And I confess now, the liturgy is a far more meaningful experience now than it ever was. And in my seminary, we had U- Eucharist every day. So I think I'm, I've worshiped God in the liturgy well over a thousand times. And it's it's way better now than it was a thousand t- so in terms of spiritual nourishment. Like um, it's almost like we're always drinking from the same cup. But when we, when we begin, it's like because of our sort of the stain of sins and our confusions and our distractedness and the foreignness of the liturgy, it's like we're drinking through a little like coffee stirrer straw, trying to get the cup. You know, and you don't feel like you're getting very much. But then as we go, it's like the straw gets thicker, and now it's like and then hopefully one we will just to drink straight from the cup um, but there's um, you know it's that sense of it's always the same goodness of God we're encountering but we are our capacity is being widened to receive from it um, and that's my experience and I, hope, and I hope it's yours too in the years that you have known the liturgy and in the years to come um, so so yeah so those are sort of the eight things I think that um, I wanted to pass, pass on and some of those probably very familiar some might be new but that will hopefully make the liturgy more meaningful um do you have any questions or thoughts, or even like sort of problem points where it's like, at this part of the liturgy, I just can't make sense of it? Or, you know, things that, I don't know, it's open forum for discussion. That's all I have to, to present. We've got five minutes. I think
2: sometimes we need a little bit more quiet, can we? Hmm. Uh, after a prayer
1: or
2: something, you know. Yeah. Just a little bit more so you Maybe you haven't heard it quite right, but you mm. then it kinda of comes to you and you, you know mm. what you're saying and what you're meant to be saying. Yeah. I like because it's not just words. Right. It's feelings more than words. Or to me it's Right.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, to have the the feelings attached to the words. Right. Yeah. 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 That's a good, good point. I'll think about that. Well, that
2: yeah. may not be the same for everybody else, and I have to assess <laughs> And I know... I worry about the people behind me more than I should. Mm. Yeah. Because I think maybe my accent is put in the mouth, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah.
2: I can't. Always keep up with them.
1: Yeah.
2: You're okay because you sleep. You go the same speed as me. <laughs> but a lot of Americans don't talk the same speed. <laughs> <laughs> thank,
0: thank goodness we're not in New York City, huh? Um yeah. the, the liturgies there are way too fast. I, 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 I can testify. But the, um, yeah, you know, I think one of the tensions I find as the officiant of the liturgy is that, um, you know. If, uh, someone who's not good at riding a bicycle it's very difficult to ride a bike slowly like very slowly yeah. like only if you're really good can you keep your balance slowly and so there's a tension between wanting to have it be slow enough that the thought and experience can really yeah. sink <laughs> into it but if it was too slow the new WSWDG would be mm-hmm. like whoa why are yes. we dragging you know it's like they don't have the sort of conditioning to be able to use it in the same way mm-hmm. so I really try and strike that and always try and strike attention and always missing one way or the other for some people at least but then between sort of ushering it along so it's like a seamless garment but at the same time like keep leaving enough space that we don't get left behind Mm -hmm. that's attention Mm -hmm.
2: and then when I I don't know I say it completely different, <laughs> <laughs> and I think all oh, these poor people behind, they probably wonder what on earth I'm saying.
0: <laughs> I'm sure your voice just blends in with the others, I don't think they can hear you, but... don't care what you're saying anyway. Right, because <laughs> they're focused on God too, right? Yeah. So yeah, right.
1: i would love to hear you speak then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Southern worry about, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you don't sit me behind me, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> that would throw you off. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Any other thoughts or questions on sort of ways to make the meaningful liturgy meaningful? For clients? Oh, thanks. Nice. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think the only, the only addition I'd have is yeah. that um, while, I mean, you're, you're talking mostly about the Sunday liturgy, yeah. you could apply all of this to the, to the daily office. Oh office. yes, any yeah. liturgy, right. Yeah. 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 I just think it's the one common, right. but yeah, this is true for all liturgy, yeah. for sure.
2: It comes yeah. out here.
0: Yeah. Right. The difference when I can yes. govern my morning of, um, like, if I'm, if I'm late for the day of office, and I'm showing up a minute before it starts my prayers are much less meaningful. Yeah. And if I'm, fi- then if I'm even just five minutes ahead of time, and then if I listen to the radio on the way in versus quiet, it's a difference because it's all that, it's like, yeah. am I cultivating a life to be made ready for prayer, prayerful, or am I distracted and then prayer's going to be really difficult. So, yeah. 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 Well, speaking about prayer generally, um, I have, um, these are in the back of the church too, but i brought a few up here. Um, the vision that I believe God's, given me for uh, for us as a church is encapsulated in the phrase cultivating life-giving patterns of prayer and so because prayer is such a rich thing and there's so much to it and that from our different church backgrounds and personal backgrounds we've all heard different sort of pieces of the puzzle i want to try and put all the pieces of the puzzle together on one page (laughs) so that's what this brochure is it's just to see so what does that mean what would a What would a life incorporating all of the sort of patterns of prayer that are out there, all the main ones, what would it look like? It would look something like sort of the fullness of the roots of this tree on the inside of the brochure. Um, So this is something that's going to be sort of perpetually available in the back of the church um, for newcomers, too, to find out about the vision. And then Lincoln had the brilliant idea of actually writing things, sort of explaining in detail, because, you know, these are just filed by title, you know, the Jesus prayer. Well, what's that? Well, let's write about it. So Lincoln and yes. I are gonna put our heads together about that. That's um, my favorite,
2: right?
0: Yeah, and we did, you know, we did a class on meditation, but we could write a thing about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Th- we should, yeah, I'm excited about that. So anyway, so this is, um, and really the idea is that um, sort of you'll see on the back single leaf of the brochure, I think one of the sort of besetting mistakes of our generation um, is to be like Martha, distracted with much service. That the, the church in America is so often saying, What's the next project we can do? What's the next thing we should lead? What's the next... And we do projects and things, as you know, but that's just the icing on the cake. The, the to burn metaphors, the meat and potatoes <laughs> um, uh, is, is prayer. That's what Mary chose, um, sitting at the Lord's feet. So, um, yeah, so, so Mary of Bethany is a real, a real model, I think, of, of the, the centrality of, of prayer in the Christian life. Um, I want to say, too, um, next week, I, when I planned this class, I forgot about how long Lent was, and it was originally five weeks, so I had to cut it down to three, and then when I planned those two, I forgot I'm preaching in Montgomery next Sunday. So Lincoln is going to be teaching class next week, and what we're going to do is... Um, Lincoln, one of the things that has been of great benefit to me personally in getting to know Lincoln, is who's the, he's the late catechist for the church, and you know, in the process of discerning for ordained ministry, is, you know, each Christian is given specific spiritual gifts, right? We're given specific things from the Lord for our specific Christian journey, where the Lord's put you and what you're going to be dealing with. Like, uh, and then for those called to ministry, he gives specific ministry gifts. And one of the gifts in which Lincoln is actually stronger suited than me, what the Lord has sort of inspires in him more readily from his own faithfulness to God and openness, open heart, is prayer. The prayer for me has been kind of kicking and screaming for Lincoln it's been a, a much more uh, a more organic way in which the Lord's brought it about in him so there have been things where I'm talking about something with of Lincoln and he shares something and I'm like oh gosh I've never, I didn't even know that, <laughs> like, I need to be doing that um, so it's really great, I'm like why have I never thought to structure it that way so, um, so Lincoln's going to be sharing out of his personal prayer life which I just want to tell you guys that I've already been learning from and continue to learn from and I think, which means I think you guys can too so rather than dividing it up crystal clear between like next week is intercessions and then the week after is personal, Lincoln's just going to share kind of out of his prayer life, which includes intercessions and personal prayers, and then I will share similarly out of my life, like how I structure my intercessions and private prayers. And then what's great that way is you'll get sort of a two different faceted, two facets of witness, because different personality types and different life situations allow for different times Lincoln works full time more than full time um, and builds in his prayer life and I'm given money so that I don't have to work full time so I can I have extra liberty for prayer it takes different shapes right um, so uh, anyways to learn from both I think will be really advantageous uh, so I, I wish could you re- could you record on a, yeah, I on record. a phone app because I'd
1: love yeah. to make a little recorded series yeah, so, okay. that. so I'm going to stop this one um,